Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie here on News Radio WINA and Merry Christmas. This show is sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping. I'm Leslie Harris, and I hope you are opening up all kinds of great presents that Santa left for you instead of listening to me on December 25th. But then again, I hope you listen at some stage. We have several plants of the week today as a nod to the season. And since you should be with family on a day like this, we will be chatting with my sister, Kim, and the subject is dogs, dogs in the garden, because she is a dog trainer. And lastly, our playlist will not include how to play in your garden this week because it's Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas trees first. Do you have a favorite that you hunt for? Years ago, when my husband was taking his Brunswick School lacrosse team from Greenwich, Connecticut, on a trip, he had the guys do a sale to raise money, and he suddenly learned a lot about Christmas trees. He came home and he said that the Fraser fir is the one for us, and we have had one ever since. But there are other good ones, I know. Some people look for the balsam Some people go for the Douglas fir, but we have lots of ornaments. And besides smelling good and holding up nicely before drying out, the Fraser fir has stiff branches and they really let you pile on those decorations. How about amaryllises at Christmas? Oh, oh no, wait, we did that last week, but they're still beautiful. And if you want to pick some out to cheer you up later this winter, you can still find them on my Amazon storefront. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes at lhgardens.com. Moving on to Narcissus, you know, the paper whites. Did you get some of those going this year? I love those, but we have a good family friend that we always used to see at Christmas in Connecticut who really can't stand the smell. I mean, apparently it's like cilantro or boxwoods for some people or men's cologne for me. If you don't like it, there's nothing for it. You really suffer. Paper whites are a type of Narcissus, just like daffodils, but they're very tender. So you wouldn't have them outside unless you live way down south like zone eight. Like amaryllis, they don't need the chilling period that so many bulbs need to bloom. They're easy and they're fun to grow inside. I usually use a glass urn and glass pebbles so that I can see their roots explore their way down to the water in the bottom. If they flop for you, they're probably reaching for the sun. So grow them in a very sunny spot if you can, or use a tall, narrow vase. And I think it's more fun, again, to go with a clear glass vase. So I put some bulbs and some glass pebbles and some very attractive vases on my Amazon store if you want to have a look. Again, that link is in the blog, and that goes along with this episode and every episode, actually, and it's found on lhgardens.com. You could also keep your paperweights from flopping with attractive twigs and ribbon, and if it's the Christmas season, you will probably have some quite close at hand. Unlike humans who tend to be challenged by gravity when served alcohol, paperweights will get, well, uh, stiff if you give them some Christmas cheer. Not really stiff, but you can stunt their growth with it, and shorter stalks don't tend to flop over. If yours are already tall and floppy when you're listening to this, it's too late for the chemical solution, so get out the ribbon and the twigs. But according to a research paper from Cornell University, playfully called pickling your paper whites. If you give them a solution of about 5% alcohol, starting when they're just a few inches tall, they're going to be reduced in height by about a third, but the flower size won't be impacted. Apparently, the sugars in beer and wine will work against this theory, but any sort of man juice that you might have in your bar should work. Keep the eggnog for yourself. That's sugary too. I'll put a link to the research paper, which is short and snackable, unlike some research papers I've run into, uh, into the show notes on the blog. I have two more plants of the week that we're going to cover in this Christmas episode after we chat with my sister, not Sue Ann, but Kim, who is a professional dog trainer in Alexandria, Virginia, and our topics include two of my favorite things, gardens and dogs. 
Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And you are not going to believe who we are talking with. It is my sister, not Sue Ann. It is my sister, Kim. And we are going to talk about dogs. Kim is a professional dog trainer in, in the town where we grew up, Alexandria, Virginia, lovely old town. And she works with some wonderful puppies, some of which were <laughs> from the pandemic, I betcha. Um, and uh, and she's just she's she knows what to do to tell them how to be more loving and lovable and just better for you in the garden. So, um, Kim, thank you for for joining me and being my how are we going to get Michael, brother Michael on this podcast? Oh, well, Michael knows a lot about trees. I don't know if you knew that, but because of his prior job where he was um, directing some trimming of trees, he learned a oh, lot yeah. about different varieties. You know, oh, OK. And what might fall down on power lines? Yes, exactly that. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll try to get brother Mike on at some stage, but it's really good to have you. So, so you, um, before we get to the dogs in the garden, you have a garden. Tell us about your garden. My garden is tiny and I wanted it to be that way because I'm not a big, I'm not a gardener. Um, and I'm not a big fan of mowing lawns and things like that. So we live in a townhouse and my, my Tom, he is very creative and he uh, has built some some wonderful things that we just filled a woodshed with a cord of firewood. That was a last weekend's project. Um, <laughs> but it's it's tiny and it's cute and it's manageable. That's what I love about it. And Tom built a lot of it. I mean, you must have had you must have had the walls that go around the back of this courtyard. It's like it's like what is it like 20 by 20, 15 by 15? It's pretty small. It's pretty small. I think 15 by 15 is probably generous. And the the back wall actually belongs, don't tell them, to the other homeowners association. It's oh. their fence. Um, quiet, <laughs> but we've made it prettier on our side. We started a couple of years ago using some planting pots from um, LH Gardens. Yes, and we had um, plenty. You did. You had so many. So many. And we screwed those into the fence and put, with your recommendations, things like potato vines. And it just, we wanted a green wall was yeah. what we were going for. So Beautiful. that was pretty, but we could never quite get rid of the black plastic. Uh, so. Yes. Plastic in the garden is basically no good. I, I hear that on a podcast I listen to. <laughs> no plastic in the garden. <laughs> there are no rules in gardening except for that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good rule. It's a very good rule. So then a couple of years ago, he made um, some boxes. So we've got six or seven boxes that are, like 18 inches long and four or five inches deep, maybe three inches, uh, four inches high. Then we put um, inserts into those that could be, that were planters. We, we built them around Home Depot planter inserts. So. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tom is a pretty smart guy. He's, he's built some, smart. he's built a lot of how he's a third, what is he? Third generation contractor in Alexander. Okay. He's right. built some stuff. I mean, he didn't build like Gatsby's right, He didn't build that. He didn't no. build Christchurch, but you know, he, yeah. He's built some stuff. <laughs> yeah. That is very cool. And you have charming window boxes out the front. And yeah, um, he built yeah. those as well. He built the, Oh, I didn't realize that. So you have a, the cutest little snackable garden and Dempsey lives in it and he has no chance to dig, but that's probably our first topic. So we're going to talk about how to deal with dogs in the garden. We love our dogs. We love our gardens. How can they go together um, and, and, and play nicely? And so I, I think that the, probably the most common question, you, you know this better than I do, isn't it like digging in the garden? I would say so. Dogs come with a lot, not a lot, but they come with some preset, um, some preset settings. That's not (laughs) some settings. They come with some settings. There you go. So dogs bark, they dig, they, they jump. Those, all those things are self-reinforcing behaviors. So in a garden, um, loose ground is sort of an invitation to, 
to digging. It, it also sort of depends. It depends on the dog. Every dog is an individual, but there are some dogs that are more predisposed to digging than others. And that would be the terrier group. Ah, yes. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's one thing that you can do to manage that, which would be not to let your dog out in the yard by himself or herself. But the other thing that you could do um, if you've got enough room in your garden, we do not, is to set up a dig box. So oh. someplace legitimate for the dog to actually dig. Okay. And, and how do you guide him or her to go there and not in your petunias? In, in the dig box, you don't plant plants. You plant things like a, a Kong or a, a bully stick or something wonderful, a ball, a tennis ball. It could be all it needs to be, but you just plant that in the sand or the loose dirt and reward them when they go there by just telling them they're a good boy. Okay. Um, and th- that'll be a lot more reinforcing than digging up your bulbs. So your method of, of training dogs, which, and I've trained, you know, we've always had dogs and I've trained them fairly successfully. They've been lovely creatures. Ginny, Ginny came preloaded because she, we got her when she was six. So we just reinforced a few things. Um, but I always was like, you know, no, and don't do that. And they were like, okay, fine. I get it. She's, she's being really mean, but your method is better and newer. And I, when Ginny goes West, we're we're probably going to get another dog and I'm going to have to come to you. And, and get this reinforcement for the positive reinforcement. So the whole thing is not no, it's all yes. So you never say don't dig, but yes, go dig here. But you interrupt behaviors that you don't like, for sure. I mean, it's positive okay. reinforcement, but it's not like, it's interesting. You know, I grew up doing the same thing to dogs and then learned through working at the shelter as a volunteer that uh, all kinds of dogs would sit down if you just walked by the kennel because they'd been reinforced with hot dogs for doing that. And it made them much more adoptable to be sitting and smiling at you rather than, you know, jumping all over the kennel. So, so that yeah. was your first experience with the positive. And then you've had certificates up, yeah, you know, you, you're certified over certification. I mean, a million certifications, right? Yes. I can be very boring and talk to you long, long <laughs> for a long time about dogs. Um, all right. We'll just gloss over that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So giving the dog something to do that it's hardwired to do is, is a great way to get them out of the spots that you don't want them in your garden. And it also gives them a release. You know, they've been bred for centuries to, to in the terrier world, to get rid of the voles and the rats and the, the vermin. You know, this is what they were trained to do. Mm-hmm. And they were useful farm animals for that reason, correct? Yes. And <laughs> farmers still use them for that. And people now compete in things called a barn hunt where they put- <laughs> But yeah, I won't go into it, but you can, you can. Uh, oh, there's yeah. blood in the end. Oh dear. Oh dear. No, there actually, there isn't, there, oh. but the, um, the rats are in, I'm using my hands like you can see them, but the rats <laughs> are in these PVC pipes that have drill holes in them. So they're safe, but they smell and the, whatever terrier or, or, or border collie goes diving down into the hole to get them. So they're safe, but terrorized they're bred to this somehow. I don't know much. About <laughs> it's not like I'm looking out for the welfare of the rats. There's probably a decent prize or dinner in it for them. We're, we won't, we won't worry too much. I like that. So digging and doing a dig box. Now let's go back to what you said to put in the dig box. Tennis ball I got. Could you describe a Kong and the other thing, the stick thing? Oh, so a bully stick is a wonderful chewy thing that most dogs like. It's part of a bull. And then a Kong is a, it's a dog toy that looks kind of like a strange snowman. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We, we have had those. But yes, I wasn't quite sure which one that was. Yes. So you can, you can, some dogs just like the Kong because it bounces and they can chase it in a wonderful way. Dempsey has to have food after we give him his medicine at night. He's 
almost, he's 12 and a half years old. So he gets a lot of medicine now. Um, but so I fill a Kong with kibble and maybe mix it with peanut butter or yogurt and I freeze it. You don't want to do that right away when a dog's not used to it. But if you freeze it, once a dog is good at getting stuff out of it, it slows things down. Oh, okay. So the idea is to keep them busy for a longer amount of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about something else that dogs might do that we don't want them to do in the garden. Can you think of anything? Oh yeah. Well, you called me about um, a compost. Oh yeah. The compost situation. Yeah. So they're, they're digging because they're going after something rats or whatever, but, but sometimes it just smells good, right? Yeah. Because I'm not completely sure of the numbers, but dogs have, they can smell at least 300 million times better than we can. We, we have 6 million olfactory sensors. They have 300 million and yeah. Yeah. It's pretty astonishing. So that's one of the biggest challenges for being a dog owner is, you know, the dog is perfectly behaved as you go uh, when you're indoors. As soon as you walk out the front porch, they're being hit with a lot of information. Um, So they're hit with tons of information, which um, may or may not entice them to go farther into investigation. Um, And so again, another method would be to distract away or? Well, there are a couple of things you do. So, So the first thing in training dogs is to manage their environment. The, um, the compost pile could be beyond a fence in, in your yard so that they can't, the dog can't physically get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's not available, you can work on training a, a, a leave it cue or what I would prefer is just the dog responding to her name. So she starts getting into something you don't want her to get into. And you say, Hey, Jenny, and she flips around. Well, Jenny doesn't flip around anymore because she can't. Because <laughs> she's but. deaf. But if you say it loudly enough, she's very excited. There might be a treat. <laughs> so getting them to respond to their names, and then you can redirect them to something else you'd rather them do, like a little training session or play fetch, something like that. And it better be fun or else they're going to stick with the compost pile. Oh, right? totally, totally. <laughs> and I know that your listeners all manage their compost in that uh that thing where you turn it over when it's kitchen, kitchen compost, you can speak. Oh yeah. Some people have those tumblers. I do, but yeah, some people just make piles and, and some people just have organic debris that comes from the garden and it's not food. Okay. So they're all, you know, just like dogs, there are all kinds of situations. Right. And, but a lot of times those compost piles generate heat so that I would think, I don't know this for sure, but I would think that would attract somebody who wanted to have a nice warm place to be in the winter. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So that might attract other, another mammal or something that the dog might be interested in. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, and we are talking with my sister, not Sue Ann, but Kim, who lives in, oh, and, and the name of her business, by the way, is Canine Connections, and she is on Instagram, but it's but it's Canine Connections, Virginia, VA, right. And then, um, so I'm going to put all these links in the show notes and you'll be able to find her. And if you live in the uh, Northern Virginia, I, well, you're kind of choosy now. You don't be, you're not going to be traveling to Sterling or the Falls Church, are you? I'm afraid I can't. I can help more dogs if I stay right in the city of Alexandria. So I don't even go to Fairfax. um, Okay. All right. So we're sticking close to home. But if you are an old town listener, um, she is a very good source. So back to dogs. Now you've got a puppy. It was maybe an impulse buy. Have you seen that ad where somebody comes home from the pound and he's, and he's got like a ferret on a leash and he's like, yeah, they were out of dogs. What's the state of people that you go visit? Um, what's their understanding of how it's supposed to be versus how it is going? Oh, well, it's, you know, so when you get a puppy, they're pretty malleable and they just pad after you, you know, very happily and pretty much do everything you ask them to do. And what I'm dealing with and most other trainers right now are dealing with the puppies that were puppies 
in the beginning of the pandemic and now they're nine months old and oh my god it's a different it's a different animal it's you know that cute little what 10 ounce puppy now weighs 60 pounds and And going through adolescence yeah Yeah. it's hard and it's hard for the dog too because the the whole his whole world has changed he's getting stronger his senses of smell and hearing are stronger as well as his back legs they're jumping up on counters and tables and things like that but it's a phase that you can train through. Never, okay. never fear. It will, it will, this, this too shall pass. As I said to a client the other day, <laughs> when I was, um, when I was gardening professionally and had a bunch of clients, there were lots of dogs and we loved them. I mean, we got to know them very well and they got to know us, but sometimes if it was a new dog or a new client, they would get concerned about dogs eating plants. And I immediately, I can't remember if I called you for the first time that that happened, but I either called you or I jumped online and it became immediately clear that the number of plants that are toxic to dogs is just like the number of, I don't know, the number of stars in the sky. That, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Of. That's where I was going. It's this, it's, you might as well assume that they all are. So what do you do if a dog strangely is hungry for plants? Redirect if you can. So, you know, the dogs, when they have upset tummies, sometimes eat grass. Yes. And What's that about? Do you know? I think it's an instinctual thing to regurgitate. But sometimes a veterinarian, our veterinarian, also said to me that the, the grass in the spring is sweet, so it tastes good. Oh, well, that's a little bit more innocent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So if they're eating your lawn, I wouldn't worry about it too much. But there was a dog the other day who was eating um, moss. The lady that owns the dog just told me that that always makes him sick. And so she's trying to redirect him. And we, we talked about that. And redirecting would be, so most of my clients, when they take their dogs on walks, not not necessarily in the backyard, they have treats on them. And so they can say, they can take a treat and pitch it a couple of feet away and say, find it and just redirect the dog to the treat and then just keep moving along on a walk. In a yard, they're management tools, but the yards that you deal with, Leslie, they're so gorgeous. The management tools are not gorgeous. So it would be perhaps having your dog on a leash in the back or just having an area where the dog can have a good time and there aren't any plants that you treasure or are worried about. Yeah. But I I, I remember with raising various dogs and always being interested in gardening, but that there came, you know, with the puppy, it's like having an infant, you really have to watch and, oh, no, no, let's, you know, don't eat that. Don't do this. Don't, you know, let's, and then they get to this comfort level and it must be past the adolescent stage where you kind of trust them in the yard and they are, they become good gardening companions um, because you know that they're just hanging out in the sunshine and Ginny's case, she'll jump in the fish pond and then I have to give her a bath because that's kind of murky. What are some cues that you would say, oh, okay, we're good to go here. I'm just, I'm not going to worry about you. You're just going to be with me and I don't have to watch you every moment. Yeah, that's a very valid point. Puppies explore the world with their mouths. So they're going to put, it's just like little children put everything in their mouth. So you have to watch them. I think it depends on the dog because little dogs, in a way they mature faster. A great big, great Dane, he's going to be an adolescent, maybe until he's three. No so, kidding. Isn't that yeah. weird? Because they have a much shorter lifespan. I know it's, it is weird. Huh. And, and the little dogs live longer usually too. So yeah. I, I don't understand it, but I think, you know, you'll, you'll know your dog. I, I trust my clients to tell me what their challenges are and what's the most egregious challenge that they have. And so we work on that. And getting back to the, you know, I'm looking down at my list of things that I wanted to address, and a lot of them can be answered with this redirecting thing. So mm-hmm. let's get back to the basics of that. So name recognition is the first one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what's and brand new puppy, how do you teach a puppy its name? Oh, that's fun. That's really fun. The words that come out of our mouths don't really mean anything to them until we reinforce them. 
Uh-huh. But if we start making the same noise all the time, so I've got a little puppy that I've been working with. Her name is Lucy. So when I say Lucy and she just looks at me because I've said something, I've made a noise. I say, yes, I use a clicker, but you don't have to. It's a clicker is a marker of the pay- behavior that you like. You can absolutely say the word yes. Um, so I say, Lucy, she turns to me, I say, yes. And yes becomes the promise of a little treat. And it, in, indoors, it could be her kibble. Um, outdoors is going to have to be something more uh, enticing. But uh, yeah, the repetition of that pretty soon, she'll say, Lucy means I'm going to get a treat. I'm turning every time I hear that word. Oh, that's so simple and good. Mm-hmm. And yes, or a clicker. And I, of course, I, I tried that clicker thing once and I kept dropping it. And I'm like, I can't do this. Um, so the word yes, or could it be any word? Jeffrey uses good girl to great effect. And, and he's very consistent with that. So I think that Jenny knows that that's a marker. Jeff was a coach. And so he is very consistent with his, his work with the dog. If you haven't been a coach, it might be safer to use a shorter word like yes or fine. That is an advantage of coaching or, or working with teenagers. You know, we were both teachers for years and just staying, staying consistent. Yeah. Good girl does seem to work with Jenny. I hadn't thought about that. The dog knows its name now. Um, coming when called. Um, what's more important in the yard where there are dangers of getting into a, you know, a noxious plant or something objectionable, a dead, oh, I remember, oh my gosh, Cooper used to find all the dead baby birds in the world and rub himself in them. Uh, It was awful. Um, That's another one of those preset things. They like to roll on dead stuff and eat poop. Um, (laughs) What what, what is that about? Can you explain? Sorry, cannot. Cannot explain. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot explain that. I I don't want to (laughs) know. To teach a dog to come when they're called, the first thing you have to make really strong is turning to their name. So that would be the first step. And then puppies, it's really easy. They just follow you. If you say, if you were to say Lucy and turn and run in the other direction, she just you know, go on after you because why not? So um, you start that and because they're so young and malleable, you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden puberty hits, the glands are glanding and they don't want to do that anymore. Then what? Then you pull out the hot dogs and the cheddar cheese. And you, <laughs> so you have to up the ante. Okay. You totally have to up the ante and you might have to increase the rate of reinforcement. With puppies, you can say Lucy and she turns and you give her a treat and she's happy to follow you across the yard. With an adolescent, if you say Boone and the dog kind of slowly turns to his name and you say yes and you give him a treat, you might have to give him a few more treats to get him to move with you across the yard. Okay. Okay. That's great. And you just have to stay with it. I mean, a lot of this is consistency and working probably a little bit every day. Short sessions are better than longer. Very short sessions are better than longer. When they're puppies, they just don't have much saying power. And when they are adolescents, there are so many things that they're more interested in than you. It's, it's really sad. Yeah. They need to look at Instagram <laughs> and they have to figure out like what's going on with, you know, their boyfriend and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Then a really good thing is leave it because they have found something objectionable in the yard, that baby bird. So gross. What should I have done? Well, you know, the dog's going to find it before you do because you can smell it for sure. At that point, he's got it. He's rolling in it. I, if he's got something in his mouth, you might want to use another cue, which would be trade. um, Oh, interesting. So I live in the city of Alexandria and there are Sometimes there are bones and nasty things because there's trash in a city. Yeah. Around the university. Yeah. Kids have dropped half a hamburger. Yeah. We're yeah. going after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they dive for it really fast. So Dempsey not too long ago found a chicken bone and um, that was not good, but we had played trade enough so that he knows that that word means, oh, I'm going to get a treat. And then I'm likely going to get 
whatever I'm working on back. Oh, but even though, but he's not, but he's not. So so you're withdrawing something from the, um, the trust savings account. So you're tricking your dog. Are they smart enough to really say, oh, wait, that didn't work out so well for me. For him, it worked out fine because I always carry treats. They're not very high value, but I always have something called Charlie Bears. And I really should call that company because I (laughs) I get them to sponsor (laughs) you and whatever you're doing. That's, those are the ones that we love. And those are the Trader Joe's guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Put a link in the show notes. Those are great little, you know, they they don't have any, you know, they're not going to make a mess in your pocket. They don't smell like anything. And um, they they don't have a lot of calories. If your dog is a little sedentary, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They apparently last from season to season because I always find them in my coat pockets. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We are talking with my sister, Kim, about dogs in the garden. And anybody who has you know, it's not like I'm never going to talk to this lady again. She, she, my sister. So if anybody is listening and saying, wow, I wish she had asked her this, that, and the other, make sure that you let us know because we can get more answers in a episode in the future. So we've gotten the dog to know its name, to come and to leave it. Lots of people say, well, I can't have a dog because I don't have a yard. Is exercise in the yard a thing or should we be going for a walk for the exercise? Well, exercise in the yard is it's handy to have, but it's not necessary. I mean, I had another Doberman Pinscher in New York City. Uh, I did not have a yard. Um, <laughs> walks are really great. One of my mentors, Pat Miller, says that a walk is like a, an hors d'oeuvre to exercise. So walks oh. are nice. Hiking is is exercise because they're changing elevation. Um, but walking around the same city block is not really that fun for a dog. I mean, they'll do it happily. But exercise like uh, tug or fetch, that's exercise. That gets them running back and forth and kicking up those endorphins and burning some some energy. Okay. So they won't get into so much mischief later. Tug, I'm curious because I guess I, I thought I knew so much I don't know um, that playing a little tug of war with a dog is not so good. You know, that's what I thought I knew too, until I started studying this. And, um, and that was not based on any science. So oh, that was based on, I just don't think this is tasteful. We'll make sure that nobody does it. <laughs> there's a lot of that in, in dog training, but, and in animal training, but yeah. So playing tug with a dog is fine. Letting the dog win is fine. It's a great way to work with adolescent dogs that really need to burn some energy and you just don't have time to, to take him hiking that day. And it's also a great way to teach some impulse control. So if they happen to drop the, the tug toy, you hold it to your chest and wait for them to offer you either sitting on the ground or at least four feet on the ground, not jumping. If they're jumping and trying to get the, the toy, then you just hang on, wait until they get, offer you a calm behavior and then you reinitiate the game. Oh, okay. And that's how you begin it. And then how do you end it? So now you, it's pulling, you're pulling, it's getting some exercise. You're getting a little exercise. Uh, who wins? How do we, how do we end this? You don't have to win and you don't have to do much exercise. The dog will do all the work. So (laughs) there's that. Well, depending Um, on the weight of the dog. (laughs) No, even so, if you just plant yourself. So ending it, you could just say all done and hold hold it back close to your body. Then then put that toy away. So a tug toy should be something that you present to your dog, not something that he goes and finds and tears apart. Because the the best one are, are made out of felt rather than a rope. Because oh. they, they can get more purchase on it. But if, if they're playing with it while you're not watching, they're just going to shred it. All right. So so it's a special thing that you're doing together. Do you have any words for that? Do you no. say tug? No, they'll get it. Okay. I read, you know, th- there were some articles a couple of years ago that indicated that the dogs um, had such a big vocabulary. But I just read something, I think just, gosh, within 48 hours ago that it was, yeah, not so much. They recognize the sounds you're making. And they'll equate them with what you're doing, but, but only an unusual dog would get up above 200 words. Is that correct? 
yes, it has to be a border collie, evidently. Border collies are crazy smart. But a lot of dogs are pretty crazy smart. So yes, I haven't read that article, but a client pointed it out to me and I can't wait to. Yeah, they, they watch our body language a whole lot more than they listen to us a ton more. Right. Yeah. Because it was interesting watching our mother with the dogs um, that, you know, they were never formally trained, but if she said in a certain tone, like she's preparing a meal, she does not want Cooper slobbering all over the kitchen floor, go lie down. (laughs) Never a formal command. It it worked. It did work. And I use it with Dempsey, go lie down. And and you use that enough, that phrase he doesn't know. You could be saying, make me a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good treat. Yeah, I think that's a good one. You know, it's so interesting, but they they do have those words and they know you so well. I do remember, must've been a four-year-old tweed, tweed of Spenrock, that wonderful yellow lab that Jeff had when I married him. Um, But baby Carter is on the changing table and I'm talking to cute baby Carter and talking about how after I change his diaper and get him dressed, we're going for a walk. And he has no idea what I'm saying, but tweed does. It was pretty funny. (laughs) I'm like, great. My Labrador retriever is smarter than my son. <laughs> Not for long. There, there is that one picture of Carter's nose in the, uh, in the water bowl. Yeah, he was fascinated by the water bowl. Cujo, the dog boy. Um, all right, any party? Are there any things that you wish I had asked you that I have not asked you about dogs in the garden? Well, I do. We didn't really touch on leave it. So I want to touch on it quickly. Right, right, right. Let's do that one. Because that, um, I mean, that would be so essential. It is essential. And it's not something that I, that you can teach overnight and it has to start in the home. So go to some, some good group classes, start working with a positive reinforcement trainer, and that will be part of the curriculum of whatever you're doing with your dog. It's a little bit more complicated because it's, it can be a life-saving behavior to teach your dog. Oh, electrical cord, leave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or chicken bone or, or whatever. So it's essential. It's essential. I do think that you can get a lot of the same reaction from a dog if they turn to the sound of their name. Yeah. Kim, this was so helpful. It was not the most gardening episode. However, it was really important because I, I just know there's so many dogs in the garden and they, and they can be good fun, but there's a process to getting them to be good fun. And so thank you for letting some of the listeners know some techniques to help them on their way. Well, I'm so happy and proud to be here. I was wondering when I was going to actually get here. Um, <laughs> that darn Sue Ann. She, I, she, I mean, you garden, but not as much as she does. So sorry. Oh my goodness. I do not garden at all. I love listening to the two of you on the podcast and I listen and I learn every time I do um, get a chance to listen to your podcast. Leslie, yeah. So. She asked some great questions. No, let me rephrase that. I feed her some great questions to ask me. No, no, she's great. She, she actually prepares. It's really, she's, she's a sweetheart and we will get brother Mike on sometime. Maybe we'll get all four of us on sometime. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good Sounds idea. Sounds crowded. Sounds chaotic. <laughs> well, thank you, Leslie, for having me on. I really had fun. Yeah. Dogs in the garden are great. You got to have them. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And next, we'll be talking about what to do in your garden right now. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA and sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping. Family is important on Christmas. I hope Kim was able to give you some good things to consider about your best friend in the garden. I didn't know until I learned from her that there really is a good reason that little puppies grow out of that adorable, adoring stage. Same reason it seems that it's tempting to lock human teenagers into their closets until it's time for them to head off for college. No, but I do love family. I do. And I hope if you are listening to this anywhere close to Christmas Day, it's because you need a break from yours because that's part of loving them. A little bit of a break is important, even with the family members that you are very close to. Kim has the most adorable courtyard garden 
and currently there's a cord of wood in it. Lord, I, I love fires, but I usually order a half a cord. Anyway, there's some photographs of her and her garden and some of her adorable charges on the blog this week. Yes, just like I regularly use our dog Ginny as bait on Instagram, I have stooped to trafficking puppy photos on lhgardens.com. Shameless, but go look. Questions from listeners. I got the most fun email from a fabulous local gardener named Fran. I've never met her before, but I have been to her garden, and it's pretty much to die for. A few sunny spots with lovely patterns and colors, but her woodland paths with a million zillion spring ephemerals and whimsical furniture destinations, beautifully pruned native trees, and attractive focal points make the exploration of her yard so much fun. I think I got to get her onto the show to talk about it. Don't you? Just say yes. Let's move on. She wrote a very helpful correction, and that is that I was mistaken when I said a few episodes back that the autumn fern, or Dryopteris erythrosora, which is one of my very favorite ferns, is native to the United States. It is, darn it, like so many of my guilty garden pleasures, native to Asia. And that's such a bummer because it's a great plant. The new fronds emerge a coppery color in spring, and around here the old fronds sort of turn a similar coppery color in winter. Just like other guilty pleasures, life is too short to go without it, but I sure wish it were native. Thanks for that, Fran. Usually I talk about what to do in the garden this week right now, but let's just assume that you are doing other things like organizing Christmas presents you received in the categories of A, yes, thank you, I'll have that. B, that's okay, but I'll carefully label it so that I know who gave it to me and give it to not that person next year. And C, this is... Bad. I can't give it to somebody I know, so off to goodwill, so it can live a new life with a new identity, and that identity certainly can't be connected to my identity. Isn't that what Boxing Day is for? That and for continuing to overeat. So let's cover a few more Christmas plants. Two more. First, the Christmas cactus, which is one of three holiday cactuses, Thanksgiving, Easter, and Christmas, and I was certainly not tracking that. Their various Latin names can be skipped because, well, it's the holiday season. You have enough to think about. That is my Christmas present to you. But here's some information that could actually be useful to you in this moment. If you get one or if you have one, they're really lovely plants. And like most plants, if you know what they want, they're going to behave much better for you. Christmas cactuses are epiphytic rainforest guys. They're sort of like orchids, really. They don't need soil, but it's easier for you if you supply it because I hope for your sake that your house does not have the humidity levels of the rainforest. That would make for continual bad hair days. It wants a fast-draining soil such as cactus soil, which they do sell, and a terracotta pot for good breathing. Don't let the water accumulate in the saucer. So in other words, they want to be wet, but they can't stay wet, just like an orchid. They're a bit needy in terms of getting them to bloom again. It's about eliminating fertilizers, oh, of which they don't need much anyway, and limiting light and water for about six weeks in the fall. Have a look at the video that Laura from Garden Answer did on the subject. She has tons of good videos. If you haven't heard of her, you should have a look. Garden Answer, I think that's the name that she is on most everything, Instagram and and Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff. I'll put this video in the show notes, but suffice it to say that if you want to get it to flower again, you need to get it into a cool, dark place, sort of like that teenager closet situation I was talking about earlier, but no central heat. And that should prompt it to bud in time for the holidays. Remember that flowers produce seeds, seeds produce offspring, and plants just want to survive in the form of their offspring. So if you stress them out a little bit, that will entice them to make the babies. At last, let's talk about the poinsettia. I don't think I need to identify this plant for you because 
is just so ubiquitous at this time of year. Instead, let's just list some fun facts about it, some of which you might know, some of which might be new news. One, it's a euphorbia, so it has that juicy stuff that will make your skin itch if it touches it, and it will definitely get your attention if it comes into contact with your eyes. This won't happen unless you do some sort of pruning on it, and you're probably too busy with other things at Christmas time. Number two, it's the bracts, not the flowers, that look so pretty. The bracts are red or white or pink or cream or salmon, but the flowers are insignificant little yellow bits in the middle. I bet you knew that. Number three, it's native to Mexico, and in the wild, it can grow to 10 by 10 feet tall and wide. Number four, it's the highest selling potted plant in the U.S., That makes sense. It's right above the Easter lily. Number five, it doesn't want to sit in water. So that shiny foil, take it away or cut a hole in it. Number six, there are no rules in gardening, but I would just suggest as a quite firm guideline that you may want to leave the dyed blue poinsettias or any other kind of dyed plant for that matter in the store. That's a strong suggestion. Number seven, poinsettias have a reputation for being poisonous. Of course they are. It's so great that we had Ellen Zakos, the backyard forager, on the pod last week to talk about the plants that don't hurt you, but the vast majority of plants do. But if you've heard that poinsettias are extremely toxic, that is urban legend. Don't eat them. Good Lord, isn't there enough other stuff to eat in the house right now? But it's nice to know that if you were to, it would only give you a tummy ache. It wouldn't kill you. Number eight, the poinsettia has two things in common with the amaryllis. A, They can be kept alive by inspired and talented gardeners who can get them looking good again for the next holiday season. B, I am not one of those gardeners, and I prefer to go shopping for both my poinsettias and my amaryllises each season. There you have it. So many Christmas plants to talk about, and we didn't even do the holly and the ivy. What to listen to? I think you should listen to three things this Christmas season. Listen to the older people in your family tell those stories that you've heard before and cherish them like you might not hear them again. Listen to the younger people in your family, and I hope they're all goofy and cheerful and they make you smile. And listen to yourself when it's time to take a nap or a break or a walk, leaving most of the wonderful holiday sounds behind you for a little while. This was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris, LH, or to my website, lhgardens.com. And I usually ask for something of you. And this week, really all I want from you is that you have a peaceful and safe holiday season. Next week, in anticipation of the new year, we're going to have a roundup of lots of my 2021 podcasts. And they're going to be talking about, well, I'm going to be speaking for them. They all wrote to me about what's inspiring them in the garden in 2022. They're all really into it, this gardening thing. And so am I. And I'll see you next week. 